The voice of reason. The voice of alarm. The voice of stats. The voice of scouts. The voice of Kool-Aid. The voice of dismay. The voice of Davo. More of the same, Royals fans. More of the same. Big crowd at the K. 30,000 plus on a Tuesday. You kidding? Important game. Even more important of a series with Oakland and San Francisco coming up next. Good pitching. Impotent offense. Royals loss. Two to one. Welcome. It's another edition of Davo's Dish on Clubhouse Conversation. And yeah, once again, a two to one Royals loss. And check out some of these stats. They're just ugly. The Royals now 12 and 21 in one run games. But the two even more telling stats than that are the fact that the Royals have now lost two to one eight times in 2014. The Royals have lost two to one eight times and they've allowed two or less and lost 11 times. Just unbelievable. You've allowed two runs or less and lost 11 games. You won even six of those 11, which is probably average. That's still bad. But if you won even six of those 11 when you've allowed two or less, you're in first place right now in the AL Central. And speaking of first place, the Royals blew yet another chance tonight for a second straight game to gain on Detroit, who lost again to the White Sox. So the Royals still remain five back. They're just one game over 500, kind of in this by default, if we're being totally honest here. One game over 500 nearing August 1st is very ordinary. The Royals are now three and a half back of the wild card. And with a five horse race for that last wild card, you got Toronto, you've got Seattle, the Yankees, the Royals, and now Tampa. Sneaking up, just a game under 500 now. So for as much of a pipe dream as catching Detroit is, it's also becoming even more so for the wild card here very quickly. You're three and a half back. You're only a game and a half closer to the wild card than you are Detroit, but the problem is you have four other teams in it with you. So like we keep saying, you go six and four. Well, guess what? Somebody else out of that five just went six and four or seven and three. So it just becomes more and more difficult every day to see how the Royals are going to end that 29-year playoff drought. And as I keep saying, it's not a playoff team right now unless you add two more good bats or one great bat. Now, the great bat's not available on the market, so and the good bats aren't available either. I mean, the closest thing you have is, you know, 37-year-old Marlon Bird, who you've got to, if you trade for him with, uh, A, you're giving up too much. He's coming off PEDs, what, a year and a half ago? He's... 37 years old, you have to pay him for two more years, a lot of money, no thanks. Not only that, but you're having to give up something more than you want to. So he's out. Next, Alex Rios, a guy I still think the Royals have a very good chance at acquiring. I still think he's the most likely. But even him, you're paying him, was it, $13 million next year? $12.5 million next year for his option year? He's not hitting home runs. He's basically a league average in right field. You can probably do better on the open market this winter. So I'm to the point, like I keep telling you, I'm – Defending Dayton Moore on one hand because the the bats just aren't out there that are going to push the Royals into the postseason most likely. Unless there's guys we don't know about available or Dayton's going to go for it all and trade the farm to get a couple of controllable bats that are younger and play past this year. If you're looking for rental guys, they're just not there this year that are going to make a difference for the Royals. There's no great bat available. And if there was, it would cost the Royals an arm and a leg. So on one hand, I'm defending Dayton Moore because – I don't think that bat's there that's going to push the Royals into the playoffs. On the other hand, it's Dayton Moore. You know, a lot of his, and and he'll tell you the same thing, a lot of it's on him for putting the Royals in this situation, for after a season where the Royals greatly underachieved offensively last year, thinking the solution was going to get Noriaoki, who's been a disaster, 
And Omar Infante, who's been disappointing. He's he, you know he's leading the team in RBIs, which is sad. <laughs> it's sad. He's not even a 50 yet. He's a second baseman, primarily when you're number two hitter, and he's your big RBI guy on this team. But the average isn't there for him. He's not getting on base where he needs to. So he's been solid. But when the, the point is when you're adding one solid player and one guy who – I mean, on paper, both of those two guys are solid players. None of them are going to push you into the playoffs. Mike Moustakis, Eric Cosmer, Billy Butler, Alex Gordon, Salvador Perez, their bats are the ones that have to produce to get you into the playoffs, and it ain't happening. So when Dayton Moore goes out and his two big moves and they're all in season is to get two nice players who aren't going to push you over the top, I mean, some of that comes back to Dayton too that they aren't there where they need to be. So – the next two games now become must-win for the Royals because you've got 13 on the horizon with Oakland and San Francisco. Arizona's a solid team in there as well. I mean, but Oakland, seven games with Oakland, San Francisco, and you go into Oakland with two of your three underperforming starting pitchers going. You know, in recent weeks, Bruce Chen and Jeremy Guthrie have struggled as of late, especially Guthrie his last few starts. Love the guy, but he'll tell you the same thing. He's been struggling. So that's going to be a daunting task for the Royals to go into Oakland. They got to win the next two games, though, guys. I mean, the season's just about two thirds over, and you've got a you're competing against six other teams for the playoffs, either Detroit or the five wild card teams. I guess five other teams, four other teams in the wild card race. Maybe five if you count Cleveland, though. They're not that far back. So the Royals need to play 650 ball from here on out. And if you can't sweep the Twins at home, you can't get fat in the Twins when you've got the pitching edge in all three games. You've got your three best pitchers going. You have 30,000 fans, and you just look like you're facing Clayton Kershaw. Again, how many times have we seen that this year with Joe Schmo, average starting pitchers? Now, Gibson, his stats tell you he's average. Now, there's certain games this year, obviously, if you break down the numbers, the majority of his runs have come off of four games where he went, what, two innings? There's been a number of games where he's shut out guys like he has the Royals both times throughout the year, but... Still, I don't care. There's no more excuses. You're, you're, the season's running out. You, you say you're a second-half team. You're now under 500 in the second half. You keep telling me you're a second-half team, but you're under 500. You already dug yourself a hole. It'd be one thing if you were, you know, gone into the All-Star break right there with Detroit and right there for the wild card. And But, I mean, the Royals already had ground to make up as it was going into the second half, and they're falling even further behind, even with a five-game losing streak or a five-game winning streak. Even with the five-game winning streak, the Royals are under 500 in the second half. <laughs> I mean... That's just not a good sign. So tonight, real quick, we'll talk about it. James Shields' battle didn't really have it. Not an impressive outing again from Shields. Another, we can call this one disappointing, no doubt. It's no doubt disappointing. I mean, he had to go a season-high pitches just to get through six innings against the Twins. A Twins lineup without Joe Maurer. A Twins lineup that tonight looked like a good AAA team. I mean, who, are you, who are you afraid of in that lineup? Willingham? Plouffe? And there's just nobody, there's nobody to be afraid of in that lineup. How many above-average hitters do the Twins have in that lineup? I don't know if they had any. Willingham gets on base a lot. He's got 10 home runs, but, I mean, he's probably their best hitter in there. Yeah, Kurt Suzuki's hitting 300, but are you scared of Kurt Suzuki? Trevor Plouffe, not really. He's a royal killer, but, I mean, you just go through that lineup, and James Shields, who's the ace, big game James, needs to anchor off of an off day. It's a sprint now, guys. The marathon's over. The first two-thirds is the marathon. Now we're to the sprint. He comes out tonight, struggles, can't get a 1-2-3 inning. The entire night didn't have one. James Shields against the Twins only struck out five, only went six innings, had a whip of 1.9 because he allowed six hits, four walks. He hit a batter once again. He cost himself a run. 
on a stupid pickoff play. He's been balking in runners twice from third, making errors on pickoff plays. We saw Danny Duffy lose a game at home by a run earlier this year in a pickoff play. You could argue tonight was lost in that pickoff play. It led to a sacrifice fly, getting the Twins one of their two runs. The Royals lost by a run. Once again, lost 2-1. to one. So Shields, between not being able to go deep enough, you wanted seven against the freaking Twins at least, maybe eight out of your ace, out of a guy that's looking to be you know become probably the second highest paid starting pitcher on the market this winter. You expect more out of him. He didn't get it. Now, that's not to say that two runs was a bad outing. It wasn't a bad outing. It was just disappointing. I mean, he had to pitch 125 pitches to go six innings against the Twins without Joe Maurer. With that defense behind him, with that ballpark, with the fans, the magnitude of the game, it's just not acceptable. The bullpen was good tonight. Jason Frazier, Aaron Crow, Kelvin Herrera, home plate umpire Ted Barrett was awful. Had a small zone, albeit for both teams. But, I mean, here's another thing about tonight that, that irked me. I'm actually kind of impressed I worked irked into a, a dish. The Royals walked five and hit another, so six free bases. Offensively, the Royals walked just twice. So with Ted Barrett having a strike zone, as our friend Denny Matthews would say, this, the, the size of a postage stamp, the Royals walked just twice. The Twins had six guys, essentially, with five or you know six of the hit batters. So we'll just say five to two. It'll be fair. Twins walk five, Royals two. The Royals once again hacking away like only the Royals can do. And, and you hear Ned Yost after the game saying there's no way to stop that, no need to change it. It's who they are. What? There's no way to stop that? That's your answer? You think that's going to work at the major league level? I mean, you're a baseball person listening to this. I mean, how many ways can we go over – how unsuccessful it is just up there hacking. Your goal is to not strike out and put the ball in play. That's flawed in so many ways. First of all, you don't get free passes. Second of all, you don't make the pitcher work. So you're not getting into the bullpen. Most people would agree the majority of teams have a better rotation or the stronger pitchers are typically in the rotation outside the back end of the bullpen. You're never getting into the middle relievers that are that are very you know suspect at the major league level in 2014. You're not getting to the middle relievers because you're not working the pitch count. Therefore, you're not wearing down the starter. The starter's going to go deeper in the game, and the starter's going to walk less, giving you less free bases. And guess what? The starter's less apt to make you a mistake because you're seeing less pitches. You're not getting that mistake pitch because you're swinging at the first thing that's close. And also, every starting pitcher in the league knows the Royals are hacking. So guess what? They're not giving them a fat pitch the first couple pitches of the at-bat. That's why the Royals had so many singles. Some of it's ability. Some of it is the lack of quality pitches they're swinging at. The most you're going to do with some of these pitches is, is hit singles. It's flawed on so many levels. Don't tell me the Royals. I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe Ned's right in a way. Maybe it's, and maybe that's his way of just throwing it on the players, and saying it's not my fault. But I mean, some of these guys may be more free swinging types, but you can still teach them to be more patient. I mean, you could even go high school baseball if you need to. Tell them to take a freaking strike some of the time. Eight times tonight, the Royals swung at the first pitch. All eight, and those at bats, they were out. 0 for 8 when the Royals swung at the first pitch. That's not saying they were made out eight times in the first pitch. It's saying when they swung at the first pitch, that at bat ended with an out. 0 for 8. No Royals, more than one hit. First extra base hit in the eighth. It's getting old, guys. You know, it's just, it's so frustrating to see the Royals out there blowing two to one games eight times, 11 times. They've given up two or less and they lost. You get the manager publicly saying there's no need to change, this, you know, to change the approach. There's no reason to. They can't do it. Well, if that's the case, they blow the thing up and start over. Because it ain't working. The Royals, as, as an organization, the minor league level, are walking the least, getting on base the least. I mean, at some point, you have to admit it's not working. The pitching has been great. The defense has been great. But you're not going to win games in the American League in 2014 
in the major leagues in 2014, but especially the American League, you're not going to win scoring two and three runs a night. Scoring one all the time, getting shut out. So it's frustrating to hear that, and I don't believe that's true. I think the Royals can make adjustments. Maybe not in the middle of the season. That's a little bit tougher. But to say that, why would you say that, Ned? Come on. Phil Hughes and Danny Duffy tomorrow. Royals have an edge there, but who knows what that means. Duffy's 5-10 and 10 and would be third in the American League in ERA if he had a few more innings to qualify for that title. Ke- uh, you know, Kevin Correa and Yordano Ventura on Wednesday. The Royals have the edge in both games, and they have to win both games. You drop one of these two games, you can almost put the nail in the coffin. You can't go into August at 500 or under 500 when you're already five back of Detroit and three and a half back of a five-team race for the wild card. You, just, you go into August 1st at 500. And you can't take two out of three from the Twins at home. You're done. Rails need to win the next two. We're to the sprint point now. There's still a third of the season left, but you keep losing every day. That winning percentage goes up that you have to finish to get to the 88 wins minimum. Probably 90 is what it's going to take to make the playoffs. Most likely 90. The Royals are approaching the point where they got to win two out of three every game from here on out. So when you've got games with Oakland coming up and San Francisco and Detroit, yeah, I'm aware the Royals have the second easiest schedule in the league from here on out. But if you can't beat the Twins at home, you get swept by the Astros at home, you lose eight times two to one. I mean, why do you think, with really no help probably on the way, the Royals don't have anybody else in AAA ready to come up and make the difference in this lineup. They're probably not going to make a trade because that player's not out there. Alex Rios will help. I think they might get that done, but he's not going to put him over the top. He'll help. But at the end of the day, there's no more time to say we're right there. We're almost in it. You know, we're st- you know, don't don't panic. It's not a must win. Every day gets harder and harder. More teams are in it. You can't keep pissing away games. Pardon my French. So we'll see what happens. Real quick, let's talk about the trade to Toronto. It's kind of old news by now. I thought it was a solid trade. Again, Eric Kratz, nice player, backup catcher. You know, nice depth at AAA with Liam Hendricks. But, I mean, it's like, how long did it take Dayton Moore to get rid of Brett Hayes and Eddie Ost? I mean, he's been struggling all year. We've been talking for about a month now about his how his ERA when he catches his three runs higher than Salvador Perez. That just seems to me – now, granted, the sample size isn't near as much as with Salvi. I, I understand that. But when guys are consistently having their worst outings of the year with Hayes – he ain't hitting. He's not throwing guys out. I mean, going into the season, I, I had no idea why they brought him back. So it took you this long. And I think the move was more about just getting rid of Valencia because they wanted more versatility, which is fine. We've been saying for the last two months they needed a true, a true utility infielder. Perhaps the reason Infante is underperforming a bit is because his back is hurt and he's not healthy. He never plays more than 130 games a year. That's just, I mean, you know that. So you need to have a backup middle infielder. Escobar has been struggling as of late. Maybe he's getting worn down a bit. So it's nice to have a guy that can come in and he can even play third in Cologne. That's good. But like we keep saying, why did it take so long to do this? And Valencia was doing the one job he had pretty well, which was hitting left-handed pitching. But at the end of the day, I agree, there wasn't much versatility. He didn't do anything else for you. He was, at best, average defensively, probably below on defense. And all he could do was hit left-handed pitching. So at the end of the day, he's probably not worth the roster spot if you look between him and Cologne. But why not keep him and DFA Abanez? What's Abanez doing besides being a supposed clubhouse leader? Clubhouse leaders don't win games, guys. Guys that can hit and field do. I mean, wouldn't it be almost more valuable to keep Valencia and DFA Abanez? I mean, you've already got Dyson as your fourth outfielder. Why do you need Abanez as a fifth? Isn't it more better to have a guy that can – I mean, Musaka has been awful. OPS is under 600 against lefties. Valencia over – approaching 800, or I think he's over. 790, 820, whatever it is. The point is he said he's right at his career average OPS-wise against lefties. I know that. I looked at it the other day. So why? 
Why would you race that? You know, that, that's the one gripe I might have about it is why keep Ibanez over Valencia. End of the day, it's a nice depth trade for AAA Omaha. It keeps you from having to start Aaron Brooks in the pinch again or Joe Saunders. So that's an upgrade. So that's good. It's an upgrade backup catcher as well. It's an upgrade. With, at those two positions, to lose half of your platoon. And it just seems a little odd that you waited this long into the season to do something that most of us saw a long time ago. It's fairly obvious. So, Just my thoughts on tonight's game and, and that trade. I think it's a solid trade. I'm not upset about it. I just thought it was kind of puzzling and at this point almost kind of pointless to do it at this point in the season. But we'll see, guys. We'll be back with you again here tomorrow night on Clubhouse Conversation. Have a good one.